Hello everyone, welcome back to Holding Fast to Faith. I am your host, Brett Hill, and today we have a good message for you. It's called Brought Up in the Vision. The text is in Ezra chapter 1, and today we're going to talk about the king of Persia, which was uh, labeled two different kings, were labeled the king of kings, which is a picture of Christ in this story. So uh, again, the uh, the title of the message is Brought Up in the Vision. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Ezra chapter 1. And uh, we're going to be reading just five verses out of that to start our text today. Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I'm in the King James Version. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled... The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith king of Persia, or thus saith Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with the beast beside the free will offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem." Heavenly Father, I ask you to bless the reading of your word. I ask you to bless this message, Father. God, I ask your hand to be upon it, that the word will be sent forth the way that you would want it to be sent forth. God, I pray that you shut my mouth, that yours would be open, Lord, that across this podcast, Father, that, that your word would be heard, God, to edify your name and to glorify your name. God, for your sole purpose and not for my own. In the name of Jesus, I ask it. Amen. And we see here... In this particular passage, folks, that that uh, Cyrus has just become king, and these things are happening right when he becomes king. And I want to point out that over 150 years before Cyrus was made king of Persia, which Cyrus holds the title king of kings because many nations on the earth... Uh, have kings, many nations around them, many uh, nation states around them have a king, but Cyrus was lording over them. He was the title king of kings because of his power and his might, and God set him up for that. And here in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 13, uh, God makes that, uh, makes that clear through the prophecy of Isaiah. And like I said, it was 150 years before Cyrus was made king. And it says, I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free, but not for a price or reward, says the Lord Almighty. In Daniel chapter 9, an angel of the Lord told Daniel that Israel would be in, in exile for 70 years due to their transgressions. 
Also, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 25, Jeremiah is also prophesying the same thing, that the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, would invade the land of Judah and they would be taken to serve in Babylon for 70 years. This invasion had taken place around 600 BC or a little after, so kind of take notes as you're listening to this so that you can get the timeline on this 70 years and understand what is happening. So this invasion of uh, Judah, the land of Judah, the, the southern part of Israel, it took place around 600 BC where Nebuchadnezzar come in and uh, fulfilled the prophecies from all three prophecies that Israel would be invaded, that Judah would be invaded, and they were being taken captive for 70 years. It's also uh, a good thing to point out here that by the same time Daniel, the had already been promoted to his position as ruler over the provinces of Babylon. If you don't know that story, that story is in Daniel chapter 2, and uh, verse 48 tells where he was pro uh, promoted. But the reason why Daniel was thrown into the den of lions is because he was promoted to uh, a, a high position, kind of like a president over Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar and all the other people in the area that were rulers. They didn't like that, and they, they wanted to get Daniel killed and thrown in the lion's den to get him out of the way so they could have his position. But this has already taken place when Israel starts uh, being exiled. It's also worth mentioning here that Cyrus's name means the one who bestows care. And uh, God stirred up the spirit of Cyrus the king and caused him to bestow care upon the children of Israel by means of this royal decree to tell them to go back to Judah and build their city, rebuild their temple, rebuild the house of God. And Cyrus wrote this decree around 538 BC, which is around 70 years apart from the prophecy that put them into exile. Cyrus even declared in verse 7 that all the temple gold that Nebuchadnezzar took from Jerusalem should be returned to the new temple to be built. All of this is important because the book of Ezra tells a tale of a new exodus. You know, we had the exodus out of Egypt uh, when Moses led them out of Egypt, and they're back in captivity again. And, and because they wouldn't follow the statutes of the Lord, they would not follow God. They were worshiping other gods and making sacrifices to idols and other gods and things like that. And God put them in captivity. This was a form of punishment. And they spent 70 years in punishment. But 150 years before they were exiled, God made a prophecy that Cyrus would let them loose. He had already made a provision to uh, uh, redeem them. It's a picture of Christ. A provision was already there to redeem them from exile and bring them back to the Lord. And uh, so we need to see that. We got to catch that picture. So around 600 BC, Nebuchadnezzar took them into captivity. And uh, by the way, Nebuchadnezzar's name means tears and groans of judgment. So 70 years later, Cyrus, the one who bestows care, writes a decree to set them free to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC. That's recorded in 2 Chronicles 36, if you want to read that story. Uh, so how many of you know that 
when you have trouble and adversity and trials and pains and suffering, uh, those things will temper your spirit just like fire hardens iron. Uh, the, the temperament of the spirit always grows. You grow spiritually when you're faced with adversity. You grow spiritually when troubles come. If you're truly uh, in the mindset that you want to follow the Lord God, that uh, when troubles come, you'll get on your knees and you'll read the word and you'll you'll pray and you'll talk to God and you'll you'll focus your your efforts on Him for and put your trust in Him for deliverance and not in somebody else. That's what happens. So uh, when when uh, when people get uh, hit up with troubles and trials and pains and suffering, some people turn away from God, some turn toward God, and at this point in time. Israel themselves has been through some really tough stuff. They've been through a lot of junk that they had to deal with. And uh, the nation had had some serious spiritual opposition when trying to make up their minds to serve God. Now, I, I don't know about you, but there's always been some spiritual opposition in my life. And you've probably experienced a lot yourself. But when good things are happening, they're really good until. And that until is when Satan tosses a monkey wrench into the mix. And when Satan throws a monkey wrench into the mix, you see, Israel's kings had a bad history of turning evil when they got into power. Power and wealth and money and influence became their own. Uh, and, and that caused them to say, well, I've got all this power. I've got all this money. I've got all this wealth. Why do I need God? So they would start just moving away from God because they were in power. Everything was taken care of. They didn't have any needs. They didn't recognize the blessings that God had given them by placing them in that place and realizing that the blessings that they had came from God but yet they still turn away from God. Does that sound familiar to anybody about your governments and, and leaders and people that's elected into high power? A lot of times when they get in positions, they forget who gave them that position. They forget that God set them up for those positions and they become uh, complacent with worshiping God. But you see, it, it's not so much the people as it is their kings and their, ruler, their rulers, their leaders. When kings slack off from serving God, it serves as a sign of permission for the people to do the same. Israel suffered over and over because of this, and so does every other nation around the world that follows this pattern. Despite the nation's fall, though, there were always a select few people in Israel who didn't give in to the popular wave, the popular demand, whatever everybody's doing, going with the flow. They didn't follow the direction of the crowd. They stood firm for God's word. And those people right in this era of time uh, was Daniel, the prophet Daniel, the prophet Jeremiah. They were those three Hebrew boys that you know so well, those three Hebrew teenagers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was the prophet Ezra, the prophet Nehemiah. This was the time of the prophets. This was happening right here when many prophets stood strong for God and it had a lot to do with going into exile and these prophets arising, God raising up these prophets to tell Israel why they were in exile. And when they went back, they needed to get their story straight, get their life straight, get back on track with God the Father and start serving him like they know they're supposed to. But there were also two very key public figures uh, specifically mentioned in this book, and those were Jeshua and Zerubbabel. You see, for some people, hardships will cause them to run from God, blame God, and even use God as their excuse for not serving Him. 
For others, the harder things get, the closer they get to God. They want to be right there beside him. They want to walk with him. They want to talk with him. They want to be in his presence all the time. When hardships come, God is their relief. God is their substance of faith. There's their substance of things hoped for. And they stick in there and they grow strong. With And uh, like I said, hardships will season a servant of God to the point that they even look forward to seeing these hardships just so that they can rejoice on the other side of calamity and just tell the devil, say, bring it on because I know if you're attacking me, I'm doing something right. I know that if you're attacking me, that I'm on God's side and you can't stand it and your kingdom's being hurt. I know if you're attacking me, Satan, that God's on hot on your trail and that I'm doing the things that God wants me to do and you're just jealous because you ain't got me working for you anymore and this was Jeshua and Zerubbabel was raised up in Babylon. You know, Jeshua's name, uh, you may have remembered from a, some, some past messages that I've had, but Jeshua, his name previously uh, in a sermon, I told you means God is salvation. He was a form of Christ coming into Babylon to lead them back out of backsliding. And uh, Zerubbabel means the one sown in Babylon. So here this team that you see is in Babylon, even in captivity, there was a seed of redemption sown while they were in captivity and God's salvation was right there in these two. And we're going to see why here in just a few minutes. But uh, Zerubbabel, he was probably right there in his late 20s when Cyrus wrote this decree to set them free. Now these two, uh, in Ezra chapter 3, 1 and 2, they helped get the people together to gather together in one task to do this one thing and to get them praising and worshiping. They, they had all of Judah worshiping before the foundation of the new temple was even laid. They had them in one mind and one cord acting as one man. And that's found in Ezra chapter 3 verse 6. Now, I want to stop here just a moment and see if anyone understands that when you get things going right for God, that Satan will jump right in the middle and try to disrupt the process. He'll try to mess you up. He'll try to pull you off track. Israel's adversaries at this point in time had found out that the rebuilding of the temple had uh, started and uh, they didn't. They wanted to go over there and spy out the situation. So they came in and disguised themselves. Now, this is one of those age-old tricks of pretending to be a friend just so you can snoop and find out and then go off and gossip and, and tell tales. So that's what they were doing. They, uh, they came over and they told Israel, they saw these people rebuilding the temple and they said, hey, we worship your God too. We worship him now. Can we help you rebuild this temple? We want to work with you. Now, uh, Jeshua and Zerubbabel uh, recognized that uh, this was just a plot and just a trick. They had some really good spiritual discernment here. And in, in Ezra chapter 4, verse 3, Jeshua and Zerubbabel speaks up to them and says, uh, look, you folks ain't got nothing to do with us. We don't want you over here. We'll build this ourselves. In other words, they told them to get to stepping. We know what you're plotting. We know that you know if you let the enemy come in and help you build your walls, the enemy will build some weaknesses in the walls and go back and tell some more enemies where those weaknesses are just so that they can come in and take your walls down and have an easy way into your house, an easy way into your heart, into your soul. The devil does this on a regular basis. If you give the devil an inch of your life, he'll put some weaknesses in your walls and he'll come in and he'll 
He'll uh, exploit those weaknesses. He'll dig into those weaknesses and he'll find his way into your life every single time that he comes back. And Jeshua and Zerubbabel said, no, we'll build it ourselves. You get lost. Now this made the adversaries mad and they turned to these regional kings and stirred the pot and started writing letters to these other uh, nation state kings that was around the area trying to get them stopped. You notice they didn't try to go back to Cyrus. They went to... Uh, they went to these other kings around the area that they knew hated the Jerusalem uh, people, hated the Jews, hated the Hebrew people. And in Ezra chapter 4, they found a king that declared the city of Jerusalem had a history of insurrection and rebellion against kings in the, in the, in the past. So uh, this Samaritan king that they found wrote a decree. He wrote a decree that said stop all work. And uh, he wanted it enforced immediately. So he sent back some military forces and some governors and things like that back to Jerusalem where Jeshua and Zerubbabel and all these other guys were, were working and put a, put a halt on the work that they were doing for the Lord. Now, ain't that just like the devil? When he sees that God's work is going good, when he sees that God's uh, plan is in attack, and when he sees that God's plan is is achieving exactly what it wants to achieve, and uh, people are working for the Lord and, and, and accomplishing things for the glory of God, the devil jumps in and tries to put a stop work a hold on it. And this is what happened. This Samaritan king sent some people back with a small force and said, hey, you're going to stop work. Now, these people were already about 25 years into this newfound freedom of rebuilding their city and rebuilding their temple, and Satan tossed in this halt order and tried to shut them down. But if you look in, in uh, Ezra chapter 5, Jeshua and Zerubbabel steps up again. And this time they went around and they've got some backup. They went around and they've got all the prophets of God that's been with them, and they started building again despite the threats from the Samaritan king. And that was one of those uh, one of those times when they just stood up and showed their integrity with God, despite all the adversity, despite the threats, despite all the power that came down to to threaten them to say you'll have war, you'll be facing war before you ever get this city rebuilt if you don't stop this right now. We don't want you guys here. Jeshua and Zerubbabel just had a prayer meeting. They went over and they got all the prophets of God together, and then the prophets of God, Jeshua and Zerubbabel, were all working on the walls now. They started building on the house of God themselves. So now you got the prophets of God. You got the priests. All of them's working together in one mind and one accord. And now here comes one of those governors of Samaria and runs down and, and asks them. He comes down threatening and he says, Who told you that you could build this house and make up this wall? Don't you understand that the king of Samaria told you to stop? So they told him, they told him, said, hey, we, we've been in captivity. We, they explained the whole story. They said God prophesied over us back in 600 BC that uh, Nebuchadnezzar would come in and take us and, and put us in exile and we'd be there for 70 years. And the prophet Isaiah prophesied that after 70 years, Cyrus, Cyrus would rise up and, and set us free and send us back to rebuild our temple. And Cyrus wrote a decree and set us free. So we're working on his order, not on yours. You need to get lost too. 
And so no matter the amount of pressure that was put on uh, Jeshua and Zerubbabel and these prophets, they just would not stop working on God's house. They didn't care how many threats was happening, what their life uh, was put into jeopardy about. And the church can learn a lesson right here. Adversity may come. Opposition may camp out against you from every side. But God never said for us to stop working on his kingdom. He said to remain steadfast until I come. And that's exactly what Jeshua and Zerubbabel did. They put them spiritual blinders on and they looked head forward at what God told them to do. Come on now, church. Jeshua and Zerubbabel made their their adversaries mad because they would never allow the opposition and the threats to intimidate them. They just just tell them uh, the devil only shows up when... Things are happening. The the devil only shows up when you're doing the right thing. The devil only shows up when you're operating for God. Jeshua and Zerubbabel knew this and they were not going to be intimidated. They told them to get lost. We don't care how many threats you bring up to us. So look, if you look in uh, chapter 5, verse 5, the enemies just kept on pushing. They kept on prying. They kept on manipulating. They would not stop, but it didn't slow down the prophets of God and the priests of God from building. Now, this is a good place to interject another history lesson if you're keeping up with the dates. When Cyrus, King Cyrus, known as the King of Kings in Ezra chapter 1 verse 2, he he spoke that right at the beginning when he says, God has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. But when Cyrus passed away, there was another king took his place in 522 BC, and that was King Darius. So King Darius, uh, just to let you know that his name means upholder of good, man of peace. So in Ezra chapter 5, verse 5, it says that news got back to the new king, King Darius. These people had had enough. The Samaritans and the governors, they had had enough of people not listening to them. So they went to the king of kings and got their mouth running to him. And they wanted King Darius to start to step in and shut this work down. Now, in doing so, while they were running their mouth about the Israelites and running their mouth about this city being built and these walls being built and this temple being built, they they started telling the story that the Jews told them and they invoked the name of Cyrus the king. Now, when uh, Darius heard that uh, Cyrus's name was mentioned, then Darius, the upholder of good, the man of peace, he started doing some digging. Hey, if my predecessor, if, if, if uh, Cyrus... Has, uh, has told them to do this, Cyrus had to have put it in writing somewhere and I'll find it. Now, be careful and don't miss this. This is the good part right here. So make sure you're listening. He found the decree from the king of kings. This is, this is Darius, the king of kings now, found the decree from the king of kings, King Cyrus, the one who bestows care, the one who set the Hebrews free. So now the king of kings, King Darius the upholder of good, the man of peace, he found that decree and saw that Cyrus had written this decree and told them that they could build that city and told them to go back and they would be set free and they could build their temple for God. So King Darius, the man of peace, the upholder of good, writes a new decree in response to those devil's puppets and, and, and addresses them all. He addresses it to that governor and all his companions. He puts it in writing and, uh, and everybody that was teaming up against these Israelites, he puts it in Ezra chapter 6, verses 7 through 12. And this is how that decree reads. 
He says, starting with verse 7, You let the work of this house of God alone. Let the governors of the Jews and the elders and the Jews' people uh, build this house of God in his place. Moreover, I make a decree what you shall do to the elders of these Jews for the building of this house of God that the kings of goods, even of the tribute beyond the river. Now listen, he is naming out all those other kings all in the territory. Every nation that he's king of kings and lord of lords over, he's writing to every one of these kings and saying that every one of you, all you kings, every, all, even beyond the river, everybody within the kingdom and the providences around me that I've got say-so over, every single one of you forthwith will give expenses to these people, the Jews, that they will not be hindered. In other words, I want you to finance it. You've run your mouth so much against them. The king of kings, uh, King Cyrus, wrote a decree and told them that they could build it, and y'all have hindered them for long enough. Now I want y'all to make up for time that's been lost. I want you to restore what's been taken from them. I want y'all to start spending the money that you've made on their temple and on their city, and I want you to finance it. And in verse 9, he says, And all the things that they have need of, these young bullocks, rams, lambs, and burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, oil. He goes on to tell them about the food offerings. Uh, he wants them to, according to the appointment of the priest that, that's in Jerusalem, give all these provisions to them daily. That means he told them without fail, don't you mess up and miss a single day of bringing food and wine and wheat and sacrifices to them and money. You, you support them every single day and in verse 10, it says that they may offer sacrifices of sweet savors unto the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king himself. He's saying he knows what kind of God that they have over there. And if they're operating in their temple, they'll be praying for me and my sons and y'all stop trying to hinder him. And also verse 11, he says, also, I have made a decree that whosoever shall alter this word, let timber be pulled down from his house and being set up and let him be hanged on it and let his house be made a dunghill for messing with the operation of this temple being built. And then that God that hath caused his name to dwell there in Jerusalem, all the kings and people that shall put their hand to alter anything or to destroy this house of God, which is at Jerusalem, I, Darius, have made a decree, let all these things that I've been, that I've said here be done with speed. In other words, get to work on it. The moment you hear my words, you get to work on financing them and make up for the time that you've caused them to lose. Start financing them from your own treasury so that they can get back. That's just like the, the Lord in heaven to come up against the devil and make him finance, make him give back everything he's took from you. Make them give back and finance the things that you've lost while the devil's been attacking you to give back tenfold what you lost. The, all these kingdoms around that's been after him for so long, the king of kings stepped up and said, these are my people. These are the ones that I told to build that temple. Everybody out there, the Lord can use the, the, Lord can use the devil to finance God's work. And come on church, when the king of kings makes a decree over you, Satan himself can't stop you. Satan's little disruptors won't be able to prosper against the work of God that 
God has ordained for his house and for his people. And as a matter of fact, God can arrange for the devil to finance your efforts when you're working for the Lord so it won't cost you a penny. God can find money from everywhere. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. He owns the gold under the ground, the gold above ground. He owns the money in your pocket. He don't need anybody else around to give him money. He owns it all already. And when God's people stand up for him and his cause, God will show up and cause your enemies to begin financing the work of God. Somebody needs to give him some praise for that right now. Somebody needs to lift their hands and start praising God because this is what this is written in God's word for a reason. God put this out there to influence the people of God when the when the devil comes against them. They need to realize that God's on your side and when he's on your side, you don't need anybody else's help. You don't need to fear the enemy. You don't need to turn away from things and stop doing what God told you to do because he's on your side. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be a friend that sticks closer than a brother and you've got me right there and the, the Bible says, if God be with me, whom should I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? No hand, no weapon can come up against me. No weapon will prosper. The Lord God is my king. He is my mercy. He is my refuge. He's my strong tower. I don't have to worry about the enemy and their threats and I can just look forward to the devil giving me back tenfold what he stole from me when God starts moving and God starts operating on my behalf. Listen, church, I want you to not miss this. In Ezra chapter 3, verse 12, verse 12 through 13, it tells us that some of the folks working on God's house here were old enough that they remember what the first house looked like and they had a vision of it and they could still see it in their minds. So as the foundation was being built, these people remembered what the old one looked like. They had a vision. So some of them wept with a loud voice while the others shouted praises of joy. And, and they, they pointed out that people could not discern the shouts of joy from the weeping of joy because the noise of the praise was heard from afar off. Isn't it about time that the church truly got excited about the job that the King of Kings has, ex has assigned us to do and that is building the kingdom of God. Do you have the vision? Can you see it? Can you see what God has told the church to do? Matthew 28 and 19 is in everybody's Bible. He wants us going out and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to everybody that, that hears it. Listen, church, I hope this has been a really good inspiration to you to get you pumped up and get you out there to, to spread the word of God. So I want you to know that the word of God is will never fail. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never fail. It will always accomplish what has been set out to do. And God's word says when I'm on your side, I'll finance the work of God as long as you're working for me. Praise God. Thank you for listening in today. I'm glad to have you in listening. And uh, I hope this message does you some good. Rewind it and listen to it again if you have to, to get excited about what God has told you to do and what his purpose for you is on this earth while he is still waiting to come back. God bless you. Hope to hear you. I hope to see you on the next one.